so, just to kind of quiet ourselves, um, let our cups of coffee kind of settle down, and um, hopefully this time is not a, uh, like a, a waste for you, or you're punching the clock on your uh, Sunday morning. Our hope is that um, we've already encountered God on some level, maybe through a conversation, maybe through singing, and the hope is that when we open up the Bible and hear from it, that God would have something to say for us. So, say to us. So let's take 30 seconds and maybe anything that's just like distracting you, maybe give it to God and uh, ask him to be present with us here this morning. So we'll take 30 seconds of silence. I'll close us up after that time. Father, thank you that you are the creator and sustainer of the whole world, from the smallest atoms to um, the far-flung galaxies. You created it, and even this morning, you kept those things running. You're also the creator and sustainer of our lives. Um, you know everything going on inside of us, the things that we woke up that we were very excited about this morning, the things that we woke up with that made us anxious or fearful or sad. Um, you know those well. And so we lay those things before you this morning. We pray that as we uh, open up the Bible and hear from you, that you would have something to say to us. And we pray that we would be uh, listening. We think of uh, the verse in the Psalms that says, May the words of our mouth and the meditations of our heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. So this morning, we're going to talk about um, humility, okay? Uh, I don't know, uh, I know many of you, maybe you don't, but if you don't know about me, my favorite characteristic about myself is how humble I am, okay? Um, and just to keep myself humble, this morning, my four-year-old daughter took my pen out of my pocket and drew on my pants, right, as we were starting uh, worship. So uh, when I stand up, it's not like a design, although maybe it'll catch on, it's just um, a drawing from Ishii on my pants, which is great. So the f here's the thing about humility, okay? It's a little funny because once you like notice it in yourself, uh, or once you even like seek to become more humble, you're kind of like no longer practicing humility. The statement I just made about myself, uh, my own humility, is like by definition not humble. Okay, um, and I don't even know if humility is like maybe we want to pursue it, maybe we don't. Uh, our, our culture has the, um, the humble brag has become a thing on social media. I, I, I saw a, a social media post this week when I searched humble brag of a, a person that was, um, that was probably in his 20s. He had his shirt off. He was a very like, he was a muscular individual and it was like a picture of him and there was like a four-year-old walking toward him. You couldn't even see her. Her back was toward him and the caption was, I forgot how much I loved this picture of my niece. But clearly he was like posting a picture of himself with his shirt off. You couldn't even see his niece. So, it was so and then he got like mocked on social media. So like there's sort of this like funny thing about like the way we try to sometimes even when we talk about humility, we're sort of not being humility, being humble, and we sort of don't know maybe what to do with it. Um, 
I, uh, I, I came across another verse this week from the book of Numbers, which is, sort, which is a hilarious verse. And Numbers, if you know it, it's really known for its humor. But um, in Numbers, it says this, 12.3, Now Moses was a very humble man, more humble than anyone else on the face of the earth. Numbers was written by Moses. Like, he wrote this about himself, okay? Like, mo I am the most humble person on the face of the earth, okay? Um, so it's sort of funny about humility. Um, I came across another thing this week from C.S. Lewis, who's a famous author, wrote the Narnia Chronicles. He's a theologian. He wrote this book called The Screwtape Letters. It's really an interesting book. It's a fictional account of like a, a demon who is instructing a younger demon on how to like kind of torment and get people away from following God, okay? And in this book, the head demon is named Screwtape, thus the Screwtape Letters, and he's writing to his like demon in training named Wormwood, and he calls the humans that they're like kind of trying to get away from God, he calls them patience, all right? And uh, in, in the screw tape letters, he says this. This is screw tape writing. He says, your patient has become humble. Have you drawn his attention to the fact? Catch him at the moment he is really poor in spirit, spirit and smuggle into his mind the gratifying reflection. By Jove, I'm being humble. And almost immediately pride, pride at his own humility, will appear. So humility is, by definition, it's sort of strange. It's also sort of a hard character um, trait to pursue, and it's a little elusive. We also live in a world dominated by information, approval, influencers, and in that world, it's not really a commodity that is helpful. It's not even always a winning quality or a money-making quality or a successful quality. But this morning, we're looking at humility in light of the Old Testament passage from the book of Micah that we've been walking through through this season of Lent. In our time of singing, as Nick mentioned, Lent is a 40-day um, period leading up to Easter. The, the church throughout history has celebrated and commemorated Lent as a time to prepare ourselves individually and as a group for the death and resurrection of Jesus. So we're going to uh, go to Micah chapter 6, verses 6 through 8, which has been our key text that we've looked at for the last three weeks. So why don't you stand with me as I read this, and at the end I'm going to say the word of the Lord, and you're going to say thanks be to God as we have started, uh, started our, our, um, this tradition. Micah 6, 6 through 8. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow down before the exalted God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousand rivers of oil? Shall I offer my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has showed you, O oh man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, and to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. The word of the Lord. You can have a seat. So this section of Micah, if you want to keep it open uh, and take a look at it, it asks this, this question like, how do we approach God? Like, how do we come before God? How do we have a relationship with him? And uh, in verses 6 and 7, Micah, who was a prophet to the nation of Israel, probably lived 700 years before Jesus maybe, um, and he asks a number of rhetorical questions. When we go to approach God, what should, we, what should we bring to him to please him? Should we bring offerings? 
Should we bring animals to sacrifice or oil or even our own firstborn children? And there's sort of this idea embedded here, okay, that when we as sinful human beings stand before a holy God, we owe him something or we should bring him something. And in verse 8, Micah tells us what we should bring. He says we should act justly, we should love mercy or love kindness, and we should walk humbly. The last two weeks, Sam, our lead pastor, has talked about what it means to act justly, what it means to walk kindly, and today we're going to focus on what it means to walk humbly with God, humility. So for the rest of the time, we're going to look at each of these two words, walk and humbly, and then we're going to ask three questions, or, or, and sorry, the last thing we're going to do is ask the question, so what, okay? So number one, walk, we're going to talk about walking. Number two, we're going to talk about humbly and humility. And three, just ask the question, so what, okay? So we're called to walk humbly. We are called to walk. Uh, the word and action of walk implies two things, okay? Number one, we're, go, like we're called to go somewhere. And number two, we're going there sort of slowly or gradually, okay? So as, as people who want to approach God or follow God, we're, we're going somewhere. We're on a journey following God to spend an eternity with him. On this journey, you're all on a journey in life, and you're called to walk with God on that journey. Now, we all live life in these bodies, in this world that God has given us. We know that sometimes, some days are easier to walk than others. We have to walk through hard times, hard things in our life, in our world, in our country. In Psalm 23, we read this, this great verse, Psalm 23, verse 4. It says this, Even though I walk through the, shadow, the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. This is a famous verse uh, from a famous chapter. And this verse has been really encouraging to me over the last few years. I've walked through some hard times, some times where it feels like I'm walking through sort of a dark valley. And my call, our call, is to, to walk, to keep going. Jesus, his most common invitation to people was to follow me. It implies that you would liter people would literally Follow him. Walk with him. Our lives are going somewhere. Who are you walking with? On a depressing note, every second you live is one second closer to the end of this physical life. It's just a reality. We're, our lives are already going somewhere. Who are you walking with and where are you walking towards? Where is the end of the desired journey where you're going? God calls us, um, even in this hard world, to a future where he's going to redeem the world, and he wants us to walk with him. The, the word walk also implies a lengthy as opposed to a quick journey. You know, for much of human history, people moved at the speed of two to three miles an hour. That's the speed that a human being walks at. From probably until the last 100, 150 years, for all of humanity, that's the, the only speed that people could travel at. I don't know, maybe a boat could go faster or something. But like in general, like that was the speed you went at. And in our world, we don't want to move at that speed. You walk through an airport, forget that. I want to walk on the people mover. Okay, I don't even want to walk slow. I got things to do. I'm important. I'm busy. We're going to move, get things done. Um, but the beauty is God calls us to walk. 
Not people move humbly towards God, you know, uh, walk with God. We want to do things fast, but I would, I, would, I would propose that maybe some of the most meaningful things in life generally happen over a longer period of time than over a quick period of time. If you go and stand at the Grand Canyon, I never have, I've heard it's amazing. If you stand there, you probably don't think, wow, this happened fast. It took many years. When you, if you raise a child from infancy, we have, we have infants in the room, all the way up to a mature adult that you pray will someday contribute to society, you don't stand in front of that kid and think, whoa, man, that was just really easy, just happened fast. I know the years, I know it goes fast and all, but it takes a while. You don't like train for and compete and finish an Ironman triathlon, Derek, as our friend Derek has. You don't finish that and say, wow, that was super fast. It's a long, slow training, and I think a lot of life, the things that are actually the most valuable happen like over a long period of time, maybe at the speed of walking. Jesus himself, he never went anywhere fast when, when, when we read about his life in the Bible. Think about this. Before his birth, his parents had to take a multi-day walk just to get to the town where he was going to be born. Then when he was born, he waited 30 years, about 30 years before he started doing miracles, started teaching. What was he doing during that time? Being obedient to his parents, most likely being a pretty good carpenter. It was awesome. It was great. And then, but it took him 30 years to do the things that we read about in the Bible. He walked everywhere he went in his ministry. He frequently allowed himself to be interrupted while he was walking around. Person came to him, my 12-year-old daughter is dying. She's about to die. Come heal, come heal her. On his way to heal her, he stops and heals another woman and has such a long conversation with her that the 12-year-old dies as he's on the way. It's no problem. He raises her back to life. He's the son of God, and it's an advantage in every and every situation. But he allowed himself to be interrupted. One of his best friends, Lazarus, is sick, sends a message to him. Come, come help me. He waits two more days. He's like two miles away. Lazarus dies while he waits. No problem. Again, he raises that guy from the dead too, but he, he waits. He even waited two days before being resurrected, coming back to life. So what does this mean for us? I think it means that our growth in God can be slow, and that's okay. It can take a long time to grow into the people that we want to be. That's sort of what it's designed for. We're called to walk with God over a long period of time because he has walked with us over a long period of time. Uh, there was a book I read years ago. I'll just mention the title because the title alone is, is very impactful, but the book's great. It's a book called A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. It's by a, a pastor named Eugene Peterson, um, and he says that as followers of Jesus, we're called to walk in a long obedience in the same direction over a long period of time. So we're, we're called to walk with God in a journey over a long period of time. Walk. Second thing, we're called to walk with God, but we're also called to walk humbly. Okay, I started off talking about, um, about, about humility and how it's sort of a funny thing in our society, but I want to give a biblical definition and a biblical example of humility. Here's the biblical definition of humility. Okay, one of them, a good one. Romans 12, 3. It says this, for by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith that God has distributed to each of you. 
Don't think of yourself more highly than you ought. Think of yourself with sober judgment. I think a lot of times we tend to think of ourselves either like too high, we think we have too high of an estimation of ourselves or too low of an estimation of ourselves. You know, as, as, as Christ followers, we, we talk a lot about our sin. We confessed our sin this morning. Very valuable, very important. But sometimes we might get to the point where we kind of like beat ourselves up, think about how awful we are. Um, I heard once of this Christian missionary who had on his tombstone was inscribed this. You might want to write it down because you might want it on your tombstone. It says this, wretched worm of a man am I, on thy kind arms I fall. Interesting. Um, I think there's truth to it. Jesus is kind and takes us in. We have things in our lives that are sinful. But there's also, like, sometimes it's like we, we kind of, like, beat ourselves up. So we might think our, of ourselves too lowly. In a, in a, all, the other problem is that in a social media-dominated world, we might think of ourselves more highly because we have so much information. We can put all very little minor details of our lives out for everybody to see and look at and comment on and approve on. Which, has, which can either puff ourselves up or maybe make ourselves feel bad about ourselves. But this definition says, don't think of yourself more highly than you are. Think of yourself with sober judgment. The reality is sober judgment is the, the, Bible, tells, the Bible is a long record of human sinfulness. And when I look at my life, I know there's a lot of sin there. The Bible also tells me that if I'm following Jesus, I'm a son or a daughter of God. It tells me that I'm a saint. It tells me I'm his representative on earth. So sober judgment means that we can see the gifts that God has given us, but also see clearly where we fall short and ask God to help us. That's a definition of humility. I want to look at an example. It comes to us from Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. If you have a copy of the scripture, I'd invite you to turn there. We're actually going to stand and read it again. So we're going to stretch out in the middle of the sermon little stretch in scripture, you know what I'm saying? And um, so why don't you stand again? We're going to read Philippians 2, 1 through 11, and then uh, we'll do the word of the Lord at the end. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The word of the Lord. You can have a seat. I want to highlight a few things from this passage. It's a beautiful passage. 
I want to highlight verses 3 and 4. If you want to take a look at verses 3 and 4, um, there are some parts of the Bible that are confusing, that are hard to understand, that require a lot of like, maybe you got to read a lot of scholars to understand it. Let me tell you these verses, not in that category. They're not hard to understand, okay? In humility, consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. It's, that is not really hard to understand. Consider others better than yourselves. Look to other people the same way I look to myself. We're all inclined to think about our own interests. What did you wake up thinking about this morning? I'll tell you what I woke up thinking about. I was thinking about myself. Thought about how I slept last night. Thought about how my body felt. Thought about the things I had to do today, how I was going to teach this sermon. I hope people like it. Um, I have to take a shower. What am I going to wear today? I have to, I have to think about these things. And those things don't necessarily make you a conceited person. Like, God's given us a body that we have to take care of. Like, I'm very glad you thought about yourself and decided to put on clothes before you came to church this morning. Like, there, to live in this world, we live through the lens of ourselves and the bodies that God has given us. But, God, but G, uh, Paul, who wrote this, Philippians, is saying, like, you think about yourself all the time. You think about yourself like you generally wake up thinking of wanting to do things that will help you have a good day. Think about others in the same way. Try to help other people. Try to think in the same way that you think about yourself. Our example in this is the person of Jesus. Verses 5 through 11 is some of the most beautiful writing in the Bible, maybe in the history of the world about anything, and it's about the person of Jesus. This, this passage is sometimes called the hymn of Christ. People think it was written as a hymn, to be sung by the early church, probably by Paul, possibly by someone even before Paul that Paul quotes. But this hymn of Christ in verses 5 through 11, that gives us a supremely beautiful description of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection through the lens of humility. I started off talking about when we think about humility, we can get sort of gummed up because we think about ourselves, first of all. But this talks about we look to Christ to pursue humility. There's a Scottish pastor in the 1800s named Robert McMurray McShane. He said this, for every look at yourself, take 10 looks at Christ. How we pursue humility is looking less at ourselves and looking more at Christ. And this passage shows us how Jesus humbled himself in his life and death and allowed God the Father to exalt him in his resurrection. Verses six and seven, if you want to go there and look at verse 6 and 7, we see that Jesus was in very nature God. Jesus is one of the three persons of the Trinity. He was present before the creation of the world. He is, is fully God. But verse 6 says he doesn't worry about his position, his status, his place on the org chart in the Trinity, how that works. Verse 7 tells us that he made himself nothing. Another translation says Jesus emptied himself by willingly taking, taking on a limited and broken human body. The Greek word for this uh, made himself nothing or emptied himself is this Greek word kenosis, which means something like being poured out. 
Jesus like allowed himself to be poured out. When he took on human flesh, he did not give up his deity. He was still God, but he did pour out his position in heaven, and he willingly limited himself. He took on a frail human body, which now had the capacity for physical and emotional experiences that were, that were negative. Um, I do not know what it's like to be God, but I bet it's better than being a human. And Jesus took that on. He became thirsty, sad, abandoned, abused, hurt, killed. And that is one of the truly beautiful pieces of the Christian faith. That when you feel broken, you pray to a God who understands that brokenness and walked it all. Really beautiful. So Jesus humbled himself in his life. He also humbled himself in his death. His pouring out continued in his death on a cross. The Romans designed crucifixion, designed crosses to maximize pain and shame on death. Jesus' life was a continual trajectory downward. Down to earth as a human. Down to a shameful birth in a stable with animals. Down to a life as probably a fairly poor person in a country overrun by a tyrannical government. Down to touch lepers down to sit and have meals with prostitutes, down to an unjust death on the cross, down, down, down. And it was specifically in his humility that God the Father exalted him through his resurrection from the dead and his ascension to heaven. Jesus humbled himself in his life and was exalted in his resurrection. You know, I mentioned at the beginning that Micah, we read Micah 6, it implies that like we owe God something, when we come to him? The reality is we do. We owe God our lives because of our sin. But the debt that we owe is paid by Jesus in his humble death for sin in our place. So what do we owe God? Our lives. What did Jesus do on our behalf? He laid his life down. What's our response? To walk humbly with God, knowing that when our physical bodies die, we'll be exalted and given a new resurrected body. Jesus walked among us. Jesus walked humbly, humbly among us. We're called to humbly follow him. So what? As we round third and head towards home and finish this thing up, how does this actually affect your life, my life? I'm not going to probably use the Greek word kenosis this week. Uh, so what does this actually have to do with our lives? A few thoughts on walking humbly, okay? Number one, humility matters in us, and our leaders. Humility matters. We're called to walk humbly. We're not called to walk successfully. We're not called to walk perfectly. We're called to walk humbly with God. I think as Americans, we're tempted to pursue success, prominence, influence in ourselves, our leaders, our churches. Let's pray for humility in our own lives and the lives of those who lead us. Let's pray for humility in our church in the leaders of our church. We've been blessed as a church by many years. Um, we're not a perfect church. I tell people all the time, I've, I've been here 14 years. I know where the hot dogs are made. I know it's not always perfect, okay? But like, we've been blessed by generally very humble leadership. Let's pray that that continues. Because be free. we're a great church, but we're not anything great. Jesus is what's great. So let's pursue that humility. Number two, as we think about humility mattering, um, I want to give us a few questions to, to consider 
This is called the humility inventory that I heard a speaker share about. This comes from a pastor named Rich Velotis, who pastors in New York City, and he just has some questions to think about our own level of humility. We'll put them up. They say this. Do I have anyone in my own life who will correct me, and how do I respond? When someone corrects me, like, how do I respond? I usually respond not well. Number two, how willing am I to admit when I am wrong? How, how often do I admit that I'm wrong? Number three, how often do I consider the perspectives of others? Do I think about life through the lens of other people? Jesus clearly did. He took on a human body. How often do I, am I totally locked into my own opinion? Number four, when was the last time I invited somebody to teach me about something? Oh, that's interesting. Tell me why you think that. Instead of, oh, that's wrong. Let me tell you why I'm right. I was forced to change my, my perspective this week on, um, on issues in our culture related to, to Generation Z, to younger kids, actually. I tend to be a little cranky towards the younger generation, which is ironic because I work for Young Life. It's an outreach to younger kids. <laughs> but I'm like, ah, they're on their phones, da, 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 you know. And I, I heard a presentation talked about like what it's like to grow up in this world, in this society, to grow up going to school on a computer in your bedroom, to go up going to school with active shooter drills. It's not easy. It gave me a lot of compassion, opened my eyes. Oh, maybe I should think about life through their lens and not just through my lens. I was sort of like, had to be corrected a little bit to look through something through someone else's perspective differently. So maybe you want to consider some of those questions in the humility inventory. Third, third thing, fix your eyes on Jesus. We talked about earlier, like, I think humility comes when we look more at Jesus than ourselves. The author of Hebrews tells us this, a great, great verse to kind of close with. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. We fix our eyes on Jesus. Um, what are you fixing your eyes on? What, what do you, maybe your literal eyes, um, you maybe you got a screen time report on your phone and told you how many hours you fixed your eyes on your phone daily this week. And I'm not trying to make you feel guilty, but like I, I, I saw it and, oh, that's more time than I fixed my eyes on Jesus. So how, am I, how are you fixing your eyes on Jesus? What are you fixing your eyes on? Is it, is it taking you to a place, is it taking you into the person you want to be? Is it taking you to a place you want to be? What does it mean to fix your eyes on Jesus? Do you need to carve out a little time to be with him, get up a little bit earlier, carve time out of your lunch break or something you're going to do on your phone to open the Bible and spend time with him? Do you need to change some of the content you consume in your entertainment and your music? Do you need to ask a trusted friend just, will you help walk with me a little bit? Will you help point me to Jesus? Because um, I think the, the way we truly walk humbly is we follow the example of Jesus and we fix our eyes on him as opposed to ourselves. Let me pray for us. God, thanks for um, your word, which doesn't come back void. Thanks for Micah. Thousands of years ago, uh, thousands of miles away from where we sit now, who spoke to people that were very different than us, but called us to something that uh, is attractive now and meaningful now, we pray that we would be people that walk humbly with you, 
We thank you for Paul who wrote Philippians and the great example of you, Jesus, that you humbly left your position in heaven, came to earth, took on our broken human body, died in our place, and you're resurrected in glory. Um, and we praise you. And we pray that we would follow you, that we would walk humbly in our lives. We pray for our church to be a place marked by humble love of you and love for people around us. And we pray um, this week, Lord, uh, that we would fix our eyes on you, not on other things. And um, that you would help us to keep walking with you through whatever we have in front of us in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.